20th century psychologists viewed anxieties as actually stages of development that didn't so much go away as we graduated from one anxiety to another in life, and that there were certain anxieties associated with different stages of development, but the idea that we could get to a place in our life where anxieties would be completely removed was not actually part of the picture. So I like the early categories that were used because I think that there's a, they, unlike today's uh, uh, categories that are entirely based on the way people present or their symptoms, the original categories of anxieties were based on the underlying causes and the underlying stages of development and in a way they created an entirely different expectation. The expectation was not how can I get rid of this but rather how can I learn to live with whatever stage of anxiety I'm at. So when people experience uh, the symptoms or the expression of anxiety in their life they were less likely to be treated with a sense of oh this is wrong and pathologized and more likely to be uh, greeted with a analyst who is or somebody they would work with who would be sympathetic. Fortunately Buddhist practice has a lot of tools that will also allow us to be with whatever anxiety we experience in life. So the first stage of anxiety that we have in life is called or used to be called at least, annihilation. Annihilation is the terror of an infant that fears something external will essentially uh, overwhelm, overcome it, engulf it, swarm it, destroy it. The vulnerability that we feel in our first months of life where we are completely vulnerable and are still working through developing a secure, reliable connection that we understand. So the infant is uh, associated with this stage of anxiety. And in life, when we go through a trauma, if you go through a near-death experience, it will activate the limbic structures, the amygdala, the fear parts of your brain. And these are the parts that are associated with also the baby's annihilation anxiety. The baby, the first structures of the brain that are immediately working are the fear survival parts. So the baby is essentially working through its anxiety about vulnerability. Eventually this annihilation fear is alleviated when a caretaker over a period of time develops a secure connection which creates an attachment, it's called a secure base, where you begin to trust that there will be somebody there that will protect you from all the things in the world that would swarm, overwhelm, destroy you, and essentially give you security. So when you graduate to this level of development, you trade the first form of anxiety, annihilation, for a higher level of anxiety, which is separation anxiety. You fear that the 
caretaker or caretakers that you depend upon for security will go away of their own accord. That you will be separated from that which provides you with a sense of protection. So this part of the anxiety is associated with the right hemisphere. In the ages we develop attachment and we start to develop anxiety of loss of attachment, the right hemisphere is guiding processes, our connections, our thinking. We're living consciously in that part of the brain. Then when you get to about three, three and a half, you start to migrate to your left. You start to use language more and around age four and a half and five, you start to develop lasting memories. The bad news about all this is all of the major attachment issues that play out in your adult life and make it difficult to connect and romantically, they happen before you develop any lasting memories. You can't go back to the events that caused your lack of trust or your feelings of anxiousness <coughs> or avoidance in relationships. They, they all happen before you got the memories wired up. At this point, we move on from separation anxiety to socialization. We start to, around five, go to school, interact with other kids, the rest of the world, and so we replace our dependence upon the caretaker for a sense of security, and that becomes replaced by a larger group which, which provides us with security and that larger group, a tribe, school, a group of individuals, a, a larger family or social structure. So what happens is we graduate to an even higher level of anxiety. If you're not getting the point, you don't get away from anxieties. You just graduate to higher levels. The next level is called neurotic anxiety. <laughs> neurotic anxiety is the fear that something in me will become visible to other people that will make them want to run away and ostracize, reject, socially dumb. So it's the fear of being dumped on a larger scale. You might say, well, what's the difference between separation anxiety and neurotic anxiety? Separation anxiety is based upon one individual that we depend on, and it's the fear that they will go away not necessarily because of anything we've done, simply because they might simply be separated from us. Whereas neurotic anxiety is the fear that there's something in me, some impulse, some part of my personality, some thought or feeling or little corner of me that if other people could see it, they would be horrified and reject me. Nobody ever empathize with that? None of you ever have that? Okay, good means you're probably all back still in separation anxiety. A few people, before they make the transition from separation anxiety to uh, neurotic anxiety, there's a second stage called engulfment anxiety. If you're a child that has an overbearing caretaker that doesn't know when to let go and doesn't allow you to individuate and connect with others, you might also have that stage where you not only are anxious about connection, but you're anxious about the connection that you have in your life being too controlling or domineering or smothering and so that's its own set of issues. Finally, neurotic anxiety 
where we're alleviated by separation anxiety because we have a wider circle of people, the anxiety that some part of me will lead to my large-scale abandonment by a group of others is regulated by a part of the brain called the ventromedial axis. That's where all the thoughts about you and yourself are. And then if you graduate from that, and the way you graduate from that is by developing a few core solid group of friends, what the Buddha called Kalyanamita, the empathetic circle of five people who let you know that no matter what you do, what you say, how you act, how you think, they will always be there for you. So they alleviate the neurotic anxiety. The last anxiety that you graduate to is psychotic anxiety, which or psychosis anxiety, it's got different names, and essentially that's the fear that you're going to lose your mind, and that the self that connects you to other people and keeps all your stuff together will disappear and you'll be rendered a mess. So that part is associated with the lateral structures of the left hemisphere. So if you've been following along, we've been moving from the oldest part of the brain, the limbic, to the right, to the ventral, to the lateral sections. There's no single part of the brain that controls all of these different anxieties. So at any different point of your life, if you lose connection to friends, you might be dropped back into separation anxiety or into annihilation anxiety. So there's no single medication or practice or tool that can address every single anxiety that a human being can feel in the course of its life. And at any different given stage of our lives, if things go wrong, if we get separated from our tribe, if we move, if we get injured, if we're ill, if uh, a relationship breaks down, we can drop down into, or regress is the word, into an earlier anxiety. So you're never immune from, no matter if you graduate all the way to psychotic or neurotic anxiety, you might fall back to the terror, annihilation anxiety. Suppose suddenly there's a war where you live, or suppose suddenly you experience a trauma, a physical accident, or somebody breaks into your home. You could wind up once again with your amygdala being activated and back in the core fear of just survival and PTSD might uh, occur. So there are different types of anxieties. They activate different parts of the brain. They're often associated with different stages of development. Fortunately for us, there are different spiritual tools available to help us address each level of anxiety. The strongest alleviator of anxiety throughout the levels is secure connections with other people. There are three things that you need to develop a secure connection in your life where you will feel supported by other people. These three parts of a secure connection will address each different part of the brain that activates anxiety. So the first level is attunement. When you find a friend and you start to talk about a difficult emotional experience, something you're frightened of, a relationship that you're struggling in, something that activates you, you are looking for somebody who makes eye contact, 
who listens, who doesn't stonewall, pull away, who doesn't disconnect from you, who doesn't roll their eyes, which is called contempt, who doesn't interrupt and tell you what to do immediately. Uh, what you're looking for is a safe container to express the experience via attunement. Attunement is important because it regulates your limbic system. When somebody looks you in the eye, maintains connection, that part of you that feels vulnerably alone will be deactivated. Human beings are pack animals. We get our strongest sense of security by connecting with other people. Alone, when we are isolated, for the first 190,000 years out of 200,000 years of human history, if you were alone, you were vulnerable. We are not by ourselves the dominant species in the planet. We don't run fast, we don't climb trees well, we don't dig holes well, we don't have claws, we don't fight well. So alone, human beings are set to become anxious because our limbic systems literally deactivate when we feel connected with somebody else. Limbically, we co-regulate. Alone, we get hypervigilant. So simply connecting with someone deactivates the oldest structure in the brain and tells you you're okay, you can relax. The second feature you're looking for is sympathy, which is somebody who understands what you're talking about, asks a few questions, indicates that they get why the experience you're talking about is difficult. And that's going to satisfy the left hemisphere of your brain that lives in language and looks to turn everything into a story. When somebody else hears the story and understands the meaning, that part of your brain can begin to shut off. And then the right hemisphere is looking for what's called empathy, somebody that will mirror your emotions while you're talking. If you're feeling sad, they'll show a sign of sadness. If you're feeling angry, they will look to stiffen. If you're feeling frightened, they will mirror back the emotion that you're experiencing. When you feel empathetic connection, your right hemisphere, which is associated with separation anxiety, will deactivate. So the three tools of connection deactivate the three parts of your brain associated with anxiety. We need all of them to feel a sense of security from other people. The second tool is um, to create an internal safe container for experience uh, that is associated with anxiety. The first most important part, I'm going to break this part into two parts. The first is to welcome and hold. This is associated with what the Buddha called Sati Sampujana. It's not resisting, not pushing away, not trying to get rid of, not trying to judge anything that arises, but to simply turn towards it and to create a way to be with it. This is important because there's a part of your brain called the anterior cingulate. It's the part of you that highlights physical pain and emotional pain. 
you like to read all about it, there's a great book by a neuroscientist called Matthew Lieberman called Social, which talks all about how the ACC works. Great book. Hold it up so people can see. There we go. I'm working strand now. It's a great book. And in it, he talks about the ACC, right? You read about the ACC? And so that part of the brain uh, is there to alert you to any emotional or physical pain. And if you resist, physical or emotional pain, it will not say, oh, okay, I'll go away. I see you don't want to feel me right now. In fact, the right ACC is far more powerful than your left ACC, which is why when you've gone through a breakup or when you're angry or when you're in a resentment, your emotional mind will keep pulling you back again and again to the very story or experience you don't want to think about because your emotional cingulate is far more strong than the left cingulate. So trying to say go away to pain, whether it's physical or emotional pain, will not work. However, turning to greet it, saying it's all right, you can be with me, immediately begins to deactivate the cingulate and allows you to hold it and allows you to create what's called a safe container. Now, a safe container is essentially a way to relax around the emotional experience, a physically emotional experience of anxiety to be with it, whether it's in your throat, your chest, your stomach, whether you feel it in your arms or your face. Don't try to distract yourself. Don't try to figure it out. Just be with it. If you turn and hold and open to anxiety, all of the structures that make it persist will essentially begin to lessen. The cortisol is released by regions of the brain that are activated by resistance. So learning to be with welcome, allow, permit anxiety actually even though we believe it will flood us, it will take us over, our anxiety will kill us, it's the exact opposite. Now, there is another tool besides this safe container that is exceptionally useful with the higher levels of anxiety, especially those associated with neurotic anxiety uh, and um, psychotic anxiety, which is... um, the Buddha's reflections. Uh, The Buddha had ten recollections that he urged all practitioners to reflect upon. One of them was called Kaganusati, which is reflecting on all the times you've done generous things for other people and other people have cared for you. Another is Devanusati, Reflections on all the people in your life that you feel deeply connected with, who are there not because of your money or because of something they can get from you, but because of an emotional connection, a real connection in your life. It's really important, as Rick Hansen, who's a wonderful Buddhist uh, neuropsychologist, uh, talks about, to address the brain's ingrained negativity bias. It takes about a half a second for your brain to deeply embed an abandonment experience. 
and to trigger an abandonment and related anxiety. It takes about 15 seconds to embed a positive experience. That's 30 times longer. Your brain is set to remember negative experiences, not positive experiences. So this is why in relationships, the Gottman Institute found that for every negative experience in a relationship, it takes five positive experiences to equal it out. For every one short remark, you need to hear five times where your partner is very loving and kind to equal out the emotional psychic toll of the negative experience. So to really deeply embed a feeling of security which will counteract anxiety, we need to linger on positive experiences. And so to help you with this, I've come up with an acronym. And people who come up with acronyms are very silly because nobody remembers them. But what the hell? Once in a while when I'm desperate to try to make a set of tools memorable, I come up with an acronym. So this acronym is SEAL. And what happens with acronyms is at least one of the tools doesn't make any sense because you're trying to make it fit with a, the word. But anyway, so SEAL, I don't think any of these actually work, but so SEAL, S is summon. Bring to mind a positive memory of being connected with somebody, somebody you care about, somebody who cares about you, a time where you did something with a friend. E, embody that state, which means to feel it in the body, to not just feel it up here in the mind or think about it up here, but to really feel what it's like. A is to appreciate, and L is to linger. Appreciate means to really absorb the fact that you have somebody in your life that you are connected with. And L means stick with it for 15 seconds, because if you don't, you're not going to remember it. So you don't have to use that. It's kind of terrible. But the goal is to simply encourage us as part of our practice to not just do the mindfulness safe container and the concentration practice, but also to do some of the Buddha's recollections. Bring to mind the times that you cared about someone, that you showed up for someone, that someone showed up for you, the times where you feel grateful for in your life. To hold them, feel them, appreciate them, and linger. If you do, you'll embed them in the emotional structures, and you will actually begin to undo the triggers that activate anxiety more often in life. There's no way to ever constantly get rid of anxiety for good. So the goal of these practices is not to somehow achieve life where we are free of anxiety, because that doesn't exist, and there's a reason we have anxiety. It's part of having a mind that can sometimes have expectations about the future and the way things will plan out, the fact that we have a narrative structures in the brain. But there are tools that can help us hold, be with, and live with anxiety so that it doesn't dominate us or haunt us, but it's just another part of our experience.